So I just want to thank you for that. So Colossians chapter 3. If you're able, would you stand with me? Our Heavenly Father, we pray that our eyes would be open to your word today. Show us clearly in these black and white pages um, what you want us to know. Make it penetrate into our hearts and minds so that it would come out in all that we do and say. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, and that's not really a question, that's, that's a statement, okay? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, I'm not going to go through that, as is, is often uh, the case, what we do. There are just so many passages um, that deal with our topic today. Um, I, I had to pick one for us to read because we'll spend a lot of time in Colossians in, in the third chapter. We will spend a lot of time in other places as well for our topic today, which is what happens after Christmas. Okay? Now, let's say you have come through Christmas, and, and um, we'll say that you, you, you uh, uh, arrived on, on Christmas Eve not knowing anything, and you heard the, the gospel message, and you, well, what is this stuff about Christmas? I don't understand anything about it. And you hear it, and you go, I, I, I've been changed. That's true. I, I believe it. And you profess faith, and your life is changed forevermore. What do you do now? Okay? What do you do on day two of becoming a Christian? And day three, and four, and five, and for the next 10, 20, 30, 70 years? What do you do? Do you just go, you know, I remember that day. It was back in, in uh, 2023. It was Christmas, and, and I professed faith in Christ, and that was a great day. Well, what's happened since? Well, I, well, I remember that day back in 2023. And, and, well, for the last 60 years, what have you been doing? That's why I've been living on that day. Uh, well, that's good, but there's more of the Christian life, that, and you've missed it. What do you mean I've missed it? How could that possibly be? I, I became a Christian. The word we're looking for is sanctification. Okay. Now, these are the, the fancy theological words that we have used and, and you have heard before. You have justification. That means salvation. You were saved, and that is a once-for-all event. Boom, happens. Sanctification is that process you go through, and you grow, and you become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Okay. Now, uh, church history is full of some problems and things that we learn from. And in the late uh, 1800s and early 1900s, um, the itinerant preachers, evangelists, really began to rise up. What they would do, they would travel around from town to town. They would have a big to-do. Uh, people would come to Christ, and they would move on to the next town. And those people then were left to kind of flounder on their own. There was no, what in today's term we use, as follow-up. Now, the Billy Graham Association saw this, and they saw it early. 
uh, that this was a problem. So they began to come two years before a crusade would happen in your town, and they would send their, their representatives, their people in, to work with the local churches, to begin to train the local churches to be ready for follow-up, to be ready to have the people who would come to Christ and receive Christ at, at the crusade into their church and then to help them understand first the basics of the gospel and what it meant, what this changed life meant, and what they were to do on day two and three and four and five, etc., of this new life that they have received in Christ. So we face this question this morning, is belief the only thing that I need to do or what, what should happen in my life as a believer? Now, I, I know for, for many of us, this is going to be a primer. It's a primer on sanctification. That's the word we're after, sanctification. This is the lifelong process of growth in Christ. Now, when I say lifelong, it might be that you come to Christ when you're 80, and it's only a one, 10-year process of growth. It might be that you came to Christ when you were six, and it might be an 80-year process of growth, Okay. And hopefully at year 80, you are much more conformed to the image of Christ than you were at 30. Now, it is, I would love to say that it is a straight, uh, linear path, which is beautifully goes up like this and never wavers. Now, from afar, it might look like that. But when you get down to the day-to-day -day living out of the Christian life, we all know that some days it is godliness and some days it is no, not not so much and some days it is great application of our faith and other days it's well does, does the bible say anything about that because i don't remember okay and we go off and live the way we want to live so it is an up and down process which we will look at in a moment so um let's make sure just just to make sure there's no doubt in our minds that sanctification is partly our responsibility partly our responsibility while justification is totally the work of the Lord. The Lord saves us, and that's it. Because, Romans 3, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God, Romans 3, 11. And even before, the, before we came to faith, we were already chosen in God, Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. That's God's work. But once God does his work in justification, salvation, what do we do? Okay, what do we do? We can't add to that work because he, Christ has already done the work. Remember the work on, word on the cross? Tetelestai is finished. It's paid in full. There's nothing we can add to that. But once we're saved, what is our responsibility as believers in this life that is obedience lifelong obedience to the things of Christ okay so <clears throat> let's look at a couple distinctions more distinctions here we'll get at a finer point on between justification and sanctification I'm going to be quoting from kind of a classic uh, systematic book here justification removes the guilt of sin Sanctification removes the pollution of sin. Okay, we sing about that whenever we sing Augustus Toplady. Rock of ages, questioning. Okay. Uh, um, be, be of sin the double cure. 
okay? Save from wrath and make me pure. Took me a minute to remember what it was, okay? Um, we're, we're talking about the double cure. It removes the guilt of sin, removes the pollution of sin. It removes the wrath of sin, saves us, removes the guilt that is associated with that. Sanctification then begins to clean us out, as we'll see in just a moment. Secondly, justification comes from outside. It comes from God. Sanctification takes place in the inner life. The inner life. And it is a work that we do in conjunction with the Holy Spirit to try to cleanse ourselves now of, of that sin that remains. Even though we're forgiven of that sin, it still remains in our lives. And we're trying to get rid of it. Okay? Because we want to be more like Christ. Number three. Justification is a once-for-all process, once-for-all. It is once-for-all event. It is not a process. You're either justified or you're not, okay? There's no fence sitting, I'm kind of, maybe, I'm a little bit justified, I'm not, you know, whatever. No, you're either here or you're here. You're in Christ or you're out of Christ. Sanctification is a continual process. It will continue until the day that you close your eyes in death and see the Lord in he will welcome you in. It, it begins at the moment of salvation and is never fully completed in this life. You never get to that point where you are, I am perfect. You will never be perfect in this world. Hopefully you'll be better and you'll grow more like Christ. And, and you'll be a better example. And those people that come after you will want to walk in your footsteps and the footsteps and path that you walk because they saw holiness and they saw obedience. You will never be perfect until you stand before the Lord, completely cleansed of sin. Number four, God declares the sinner righteous. Okay, Declares the sinner righteous. God the Holy Spirit sanctifies the sinner. Sanctifies the sinner. Number five, sanctification is a supernatural and gracious work of the Holy Spirit. Primarily, now primarily through the word, secondarily through the other means of grace, which we will look at in just a moment. It's through these means that the Holy Spirit delivers us more and more from the power of sin and enables us, as Ephesians 2 says, to do the good works God has prepared before the foundations of the world that we should walk in them. There are things, listen, there are things that the Lord has prepared for you to do before the foundations of the world, there are good works and things that he wants you to do. And he has set those in motion before you were born, before you even created the world. What is sanctification not? Sanctification is not moral improvement. It is not moral improvement. Anybody can change their behavior. Okay? Let's say that I'm, uh, I'm an alcoholic. And I wake up one day and I come to the realization that, you know, I don't like being an alcoholic. I don't like the way I feel. I don't like the way that I perceive the world. I think I'm going to stop drinking. And I stop drinking. And, and forever. I, I, I don't, don't take another drink all my life. <clears throat> that is not sanctification. That's moral improvement. That does not get you any closer to God. Now, God may be using that, but that does not get you any closer to God. Christianity is not simply morality, but it's a life that is lived in response to what God has done for us. There have been plenty of moralists and moral philosophers and moral teachers uh, throughout history 
But morality does not make you right with God. Okay, and we see this again and again. You can't, you're, you're the Pharisees, you know, who, who were dotting the, the I's and crossing the T's on every little thing. That didn't make them holy. It didn't make them right with God. Okay? Um, morality does not guarantee your position with God. Now, you could sit through years, years literally, of ethical preaching, ethical preaching. You could sit in a church and hear this and how you should behave and what you should do, things like that. But that doesn't get you any closer to God. It doesn't make you any more faithful in your obedience as if you stayed home and spent that time reading Immanuel Kant or any other of the moral philosophers. Okay? Because moral preaching lacks the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of who we are before the Lord, what he has done for us, and what he calls us to do. So, what is sanctification? Let me give you some definitions here. And in, in good Westminster language, I'm going to give you negative and positive, because that's how usually they define things. Negative. The mortification of the old man. Okay? Mortification. That's not a word we use very much, but being uh, having worked in the funeral business, it's a word that I used a lot. Okay? Mortuary, things like that. You've got to kill the old man, or as Scripture says, crucify the old man. The old man is our human nature, as so far as it's controlled by sin. Romans chapter 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him, that is Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Okay, we are not slaves to sin if you are in Christ. You belong to the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So often that is the Christian life. It is a walk, a day-to-day -day walk. Isaiah says, you'll rise up on the wings of the eagle. You'll run and not grow weary. Sometimes those, happen, those events happen. Most of the time it is a walk. You walk together with Christ. This means that in the lives of those who belong to Christ, the Spirit is the predominant factor. Not sin, but the Holy Spirit. This does not mean our wills have been overcome. Okay? It does not mean when you stand there before the donuts, as David had said, you go, oh, yeah, chocolate ice. And, and there's a part of you going, I want chocolate ice. I wonder if it's cream filled. To put me over the edge. I gotta have it. Okay, but you're, the other part of you is saying, "No, no, man, you, you're on the edge of diabetes, and you can't have a donut. And come on, you can't do that." We still have a will, okay, and we wrestle with that. That's just a fact of life. Might be donuts, might be uh, anything that is particular to you, where you struggle with. You're on the edge. Question of my will. Question of what? How will I be obedient to the Lord? So we got to kill that. We got to crucify it. Okay? That's the negative. The positive is the enlivening, as Westminster says, of the new man to do the works that are prepared for him before the foundations of the world. The old life of sin, the old structures, the old habits that went with it have to be gradually torn down in our life. Okay, here we are. Boom, Christmas Eve, we became a believer. 
now I've got to begin to tear down those old habits, those structures, the way of thinking, uh, those old priorities. They have to be crucified in my life. They have to be taken down so that the new can be built up at the same time. It's a, it's a one, and it's not an equal process, but you're killing the old and building up the new. Think of it this way. You happen to leave uh, one of your doors open, your back door, just a screen door. You know, you, you've always had trouble closing it, but it, it didn't close. And a skunk got in. And you saw the skunk and you went, ah, and the skunk went, ah. But you know what happens when a skunk goes, ah? It leaves a little reminder for you. Uh, so the whole house now smells like skunk. What do you do? Well, you get the Lysol out, spraying everything. Over time, that skunk smell begins to dissipate, and the other smell begins to get better. But the skunk smell never goes away. It is always there. You can walk in somebody's house and go, you smell that? Oh, that smells like, okay. Um, yeah, it never goes away. That's what sin is in our lives. It never goes away. It may dissipate. The hold on us may become less as righteousness becomes greater in our lives, but sin still remains there, okay? It still stinks. But, Philippians 1, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Christ will finish that work that he began in you at salvation, and in that sanctification, that's the work he's talking about, and you will know the full release and deliverance of sin as you stand before him. Now, there is an aspect of sanctification that's definitive, and that's only the work of Christ made it definitive, okay? That means there is this breach with the power of sin that happened at the cross and at the resurrection. Sin was overcome. We have that capacity. We have struggled with it, okay? But the power of sin in the life of believers was broken at the cross. Christ and his death and resurrection broke that power of sin. Once you're justified, your sanctification is guaranteed. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, um, the golden chain of salvation. You will be glorified. You will be. And it's spoken of in the past tense. Paul writes about it in the past tense because it's a guarantee. Not guaranteed relative to our behavior, Guaranteed because of the work of Christ. He has done it. He will bring it to completion. You will go to heaven. You will be without sin once you are there. But until you're there, the remnants of sin remain. And that's the progressive aspect of sanctification. You've got to kill it. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to mortify it. Galatians chapter 2. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We strive, we strive for this ever-increasing sanctified life by using the means that God has placed at our disposal. He didn't just save us and say, okay, you're on your own. Try your best. Give us means. He gave us direction. Since we have these promises, 2 Corinthians 7, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves, these promises from God's word, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. 
We go back to Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bible open, I'm just going to read here for a while. We read the first four. Now we're going to start in verse 5. Put to death, there's the mortification. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He gives one of the vice lists. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. That's before you were saved. But now, after you're saved, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Put it away from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Renewed in the knowledge. Hmm, sounds familiar. Flip over to Romans chapter 12. Renewed in this knowledge... Here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So, renewed in that knowledge, what is, what is he talking about there? Well, it's something that he has written extensively about in Romans, particularly Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, living sacrifice. I mean, sometimes you think, Lord, why didn't you just take me the day I became a Christian? I wouldn't have to work, worry about all this. I wouldn't have to put up with this struggle because you're a living sacrifice. Your life here is to be lived unto his glory. So how do you do this? Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world because it's going to try to conform you to the way it likes. It wants you to be. It wants you to enjoy and relish and pursue the flesh, the things of sin. But God's word says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Where do we renew our mind? Right here. In the word. That's how you renew your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and Perfect. So sanctification is the work of the triune God. God, especially this is Westminster language again. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells within you. Romans chapter 8. Okay, you've got Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got the Father. We cooperate with the Spirit, but we can only cooperate because the Spirit enables us to cooperate with Him. As we work in our, in our conscious life, so to speak, those efforts are dependent upon the work of the Spirit, the, the squashing of our will that wants to be conformed to the world, by the work of the renewing of our mind here in Scripture, and by what we call the means of grace. The means of grace. As I said earlier, the Lord gives us things to help us with this process. He didn't leave us on our own. He didn't leave us as orphans. He said, here, let me help you with this. What's the first, the primary? The Word of God. 
Okay? That's the primary means by which we renew our minds, by which we grow in grace. But knowledge is not adequate for sanctification. You know, there are plenty of people who know what this book says, but they don't obey it. They don't believe that it's true. In fact, they have others, other books that they hold up at the same level. Knowledge is not sufficient. Knowledge applied in the life of the believer is sanctification. Knowledge of God's word applied in my behavior as one who is in Christ results in that growth. 1 Peter 1, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love is not a fuzzy. Love is an action. You have to demonstrate your faith by action. The action here is the command to love. The apostles place the highest value for your growth in God's word. Colossians 3, later in that chapter, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Take up residence in you. That's what that word dwell means. Let the word of Christ come and live within you. Take up residence. Become all that you are. Teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Hebrews chapter 5. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish between good and evil. Okay? Solid food. When you were six and became a believer, you were singing songs like, Jesus loves me. Pretty good theology in Jesus loves me. Okay? When you're 60, if that's, if you're still at that level, you are not eating solid food. Okay? Now, for those of you who are in the Sunday school class, it's solid food. And you're going, I, I really don't understand a lot of what he was saying. That's because it's solid food, and it's, it's hard. Those things are hard. Um, think of your own profession. And as you move and you grow and you, you become better and better at it, those things get hard. And, and, and there's a vocabulary and a way of doing them. Same type of thing in the Christian life. It is not easy to grow and mature. James chapter 1. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Put away this stuff. Receive the word. The word of God, number one. Number two, the sacraments. Lord's Supper, well, we didn't bring it up, and, and baptism, okay? Lord's Supper and baptism. These are seals in our lives of what the Lord has accomplished. And they are always accompanied by his word. We never just do the sacraments. They're always tied to the word. Always tied to the word. Titus chapter 3. God saved us by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 10. Paul refers to the cup of blessing. These are the sacraments. And speaking of the Lord's Supper, it's the cup of blessing. Number three, prayer. Prayer is a means of grace. It is a chance to communicate with the Lord. It is a chance to be quiet and still before him, to seek him. God has promised that to all who call upon him in truth, they shall be saved. They shall be saved. The fourth one. This is a tough one. 
providence. Providence. God's providence is what he has ordained and, and how things work out. And there are things that he has ordained that we really like in God's providence, and there are other things that, that we really don't like. But that's part of the growth process. And it takes a believer to grow in God's providence. It deepens, it solidifies the truth of God's plan, of God's word. We have to keep in mind that knowledge of God's word is necessary to understand providence. What is God doing? I can't believe he would do this to me. Has he ever said anything about what he is doing in his word? Yes. Psalm 119. It is good for me that I was afflicted. Good for me that I was afflicted. No, God, you're, you're, you're mistaken. It was not good for me. Yes, it was. David is saying it was good for me that I was afflicted because there is a growth that comes in affliction that cannot be achieved in joy. I'll try. I'll give it a shot. Bring the joy in. I'll try to grow. No, you won't. You will not grow in joy in the same way that you will grow in affliction. Affliction. Romans 2. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? What leads you to repentance? Sometimes it is a friend coming along to encourage you. Sometimes it's a, it's a hard thing that brings you to the point that you repent. Hebrews chapter 12, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, those are our earthly fathers. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. God brings discipline into your lives that you may share in his holiness, that you may become more conformed to the image of Christ. Paul writes again, Colossians chapter 1, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone, every, with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That is the goal. That's the goal of the Apostle Paul, of all the writers from Scripture. That's the goal of, hopefully, of every sermon, every Bible study, every personal devotion time to grow and be mature in Christ. Mature is the word that we hear on the cross as well, or a form of it. To telestai, it is finished. This word here in Colossians 1 is teleos. It is the purpose or end for which something exists. Maturity is the purpose for what exists. Mature in Christ. Conform to the image of Christ. This is the end for which we were made. Colossians 2. As we have received Christ, so let us walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in faith, just as we have been taught, abounding in thanksgiving. All right, justification happens in an instant. Boom, he saves you. You are forever changed. Your, your eternal destination is secure. It begins here, and the results of that event continue on for all eternity. You are changed. You are his. You will never leave his hands. Yet sin, sin still remains, and that's our struggle. And sometimes we lose, and sometimes we win. It is a lifelong process. And you might be thinking today, I've been losing a lot more than winning lately. Okay, It has been a struggle, and I have shown my flesh and my weakness and my sinfulness. 
and maybe, maybe justification really didn't happen in my life. Because why would God want me now? But he has changed you. He knows you're not perfect. He didn't wait for us to get cleaned up. While we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. This is a process of growth. And think of all the people that he used in history. But he didn't use anybody who was perfect outside of Christ. Everybody was broken. Everybody was weak. Everybody was fickle. And he used them for great things. And they learned. You're saying, I'm failing a lot now in my conformity to Christ. Learn from your failure. Grow from your failure. See what and how you fell short. Now don't do it again. Keep growing. Keep failing. Keep learning from those failures. Keep rejoicing at your successes. This is the will of Christ, that you become mature in him. And remember, it is a battle. That's Christianity is portrayed as a battle with this world, with the flesh. Grow in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is what you call us to do. So I've done the work, made you my own, drew you unto me, gave you a new name, a new heart. Now you belong to me. And I've given you my spirit that he will enable you to walk the path that I lay before you. Yeah, this is the call, Lord, and, and we wish it were easy. And some days we think, yeah, I've got this down, but other days... We seem far from the standard. But you do not leave us. You do not forsake us. You promise to bring to completion the work that you began in us. Lord, we will cling to those truths. And on those days where we just see ourselves as failures in the Christian life, we will know that you have not walked away from us. And in fact, in those days where we feel like we can't find you, we can't hear your voice, it is you who is sustaining us through those difficult times. You who are continuing to shape and mold us more and more like Christ, whether it be the joys or whether it be the afflictions. Heavenly Father, fix these things in our hearts and minds today that we would know that you are at work in our lives to make us more like Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let us all join together and glorify God by singing the truth that is found in hymn 180, the first note.